is with Pastor Rick Stevens. This is our first show that we've produced, and we're so glad to have you join us. This is going to be quite the exciting adventure, and, and we're going to explore a lot of things from the Bible. We're going to understand better what God is asking of us. We're going to have insights that he gives us, and we're just going to explore together to find out what's going on. You know, we approach this whole business of looking at the Bible with the confidence that God wants us to understand. God didn't give us the Bible to confuse us. He didn't give us the Bible to be just a mystery, although sometimes it is. He gave us the Bible so we could benefit from it, so we could look at it, so we could read it, so we could comprehend the story of God and his people, so that we could really know with certainty what it is that God wants us to know. See, God didn't work so hard to give us the Bible so we couldn't understand it. He gave us the Bible, and it's the most reasonable expectation that he wants us to understand it. Why would he give us a book that we couldn't understand? Well, we believe he did give us a book we could understand, and he does want us to understand directions for how to live life today so we can have the life he has intended us to have. We believe he gave us the Bible so that we could understand what death is all about and what we need to do to prepare for that. You know, that's that's really what this is all about, ultimately, when it comes down to, and we'll talk about th that today as we look at the scriptures, but it really comes down to life and death, and God wants us to understand that, and so we're going to do our best to understand. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, there's a lot of things in the Bible I don't understand, not sure I ever could understand. Uh, I get that. We, we approach this humbly. We don't presume that we're going to have every insight that's necessary. We're not going to presume that that we won't bump up against things and we'll say, whoa, what's that mean? And and have to really consider that. We're not going to assume that that sometimes we might just have to stop and say, you know, I have this question about the Bible, but I can't find the answer. Well, we're going to approach it with the idea that we can understand, that God is eager to help us understand, and that God does not feel obligated to answer every question you and I ask. I have a lot of questions. I like to ask questions. I have always enjoyed questions. That's good. That's fine. We're not going to shy away from that, but we're going to go forward to understand what God wants us to understand. And we are convinced that God wants us to understand what is necessary to live our lives today and what is necessary so we can be prepared to live our lives forever with him. So that's a little bit of how we're approaching that. We'll talk some more maybe about those kind of things as we go along. I just wanted to make sure you understand that, that this is the place. This is the place where God is going to help us take challenging things, sometimes complicated things, and make them simple. We don't want to be simplistic, but we think that if God gave us the Bible to understand, then it ought to be something simple enough for us to understand. Uh, that's not the same as having a full grasp of God. God is way bigger than we will ever fully understand. But we can understand in straightforward terms what God wants us to know. At the same time, once we know what God is asking us to do and helps us understand things, then it's up to us to start cooperating with grace. And what I mean by that, and I use that phrase fairly often at my church, and I'll talk just a little bit about my church in a minute. But what I mean by that is that, that God extends to us all of the resources we need to live our lives the way he has called us to live them. Uh, 
He doesn't just ask us to do something that we can't do. He says, come walk with me and my grace will work with you and in you and help you accomplish, achieve, be, live the life that I always intended for you to live. So we need to cooperate with that grace and, and work with God, walk together with him in the way he leads us. And we also want to, among other things, stretch toward God's high calling. You know, so many people just sell themselves short these days. Don't be like that. So many people just quit and say, well, I can't. Well, you really can by the grace of God. Uh, just make sure that when you bump up against something like that, that you're saying, I can't, that you're really not saying, I won't, or I don't want to, or something similar to that. So let's stretch toward God's high calling. He's calling us today upward and onward, and we need to go in his direction. And we're going to do that by taking a fresh look at, at the Bible. And we're going to look at a particular story from the Bible this week that refers to Doubting Thomas. Uh, we call him Doubting Thomas. I really think he was a great example of belief. But again, we'll get to that in a minute. As I said, this is Faith Is with Pastor Rick Stevens. I am a pastor in Cape Coral, Florida at Diplomat Wesleyan Church. I've been here for a little more than 20 years. I'm not sure either the church or I expected it to go on this long, but it has. And here we are. And, and we're doing great in spite of the pandemic and all of the things. The Spirit of God is with us. He's helping us. We have our challenges. But we are not going to focus on the challenges. We're going to focus on the possibilities that God has for us, both during this time together. And I hope you do at your church as well. And, and I want to say this a little later again, but I will start right now. Uh, find a church if you don't have one. If you have one, participate in the life of that church. Your church needs you, and you need your church. So my thanks to, to my church, Diplomat Wesleyan Church, for making this radio program and podcast possible. We uh, uh, never could have imagined having this opportunity, and we are delighted to share what God has given to us with all of you in the hope that you will benefit from it. And, and that's important, too. Please understand, we're not doing this for our benefit. I'm not doing this so I can say, wow, look at me. That's the last thing I think about. We are doing this because we want to help you. We want to be a benefit to you. We want to help each other stretch toward God's high calling. And we believe he's helping us do that. And we're going to keep doing that. So hang on. Let's take a journey together and see what happens. So glad you could join us here on the radio show. If you're hearing this later or you missed part of it, it's available by podcast on the America Out Loud Network. Just look for the podcast subscribe to that. You'll get it every week. We're really glad that that's available for you as well, because sometimes it's just hard to, to schedule a certain time, and I, I wouldn't want you to miss it because of time. So where are we right now? Well, right now we are following the story of Jesus, and last weekend we celebrated Easter, the pivotal point in the life of the church when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I have said, and I said last Sunday, that the resurrection of Jesus validates Christian faith. The resurrection, because it happened, because it's a fact of history, because Jesus came back to life, it validates our faith in him and our confidence in him, and we need to hang on to that. Without the resurrection, we don't have anything. With the resurrection, we have everything. So, 
the resurrection of Jesus validates our Christian faith, and it also verifies the truth of the Bible. It helps us realize and have a firm foundation that what the Bible says is true, and we can trust it, and we can trust him. So not only does it validate Christian faith, but it verifies the truth of the Bible. Hang on to that. Don't let go of that. Whenever you wonder, whenever you are tempted to think something different, or whenever you're tempted, like Thomas, who we'll talk about in a minute, uh, you come across doubt, just remember, no one has ever been able to explain away the resurrection of Jesus. And I think that's something that we need to keep forefront in our mind and depend upon. Don't let anybody talk you out of it because the, all of the evidence points in the truthfulness of that event in history and the pivotal impact that it makes in all of our lives. So we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus last weekend. And then as you follow the story of the New Testament, as it continues to unfold, we discover that Jesus appears to his disciples. They have an opportunity to see him. He uh, makes himself known. He wants them to know that he's alive. And we get to follow along with that story. And so we're going to do that today and take a look at just what that means. And so I want to invite you to take a Bible. If you have one nearby, if you want to take a minute to go get one, you'll have time to catch up. Don't, don't be left out. And we're going to take a look at the Gospel of John, chapter 20, starting with verse 19. It's the time when Jesus' disciples were gathered together and they saw Jesus, but Thomas didn't until later, and then Thomas ultimately made his confession. And then we want to end up with some real insightful perspective on what it means to believe in Jesus, what it means to believe and have life forever. What is it that Jesus is saying to us so that we can know with certainty, without doubt, without fear, without hesitation, but with confidence, with faith, and then we can live faithful lives. So let's take a look at John chapter 20. I'm going to read from the New International Version. I don't know if that's the English translation you use. We can talk about English translations sometimes. But let's start with this one from John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. So there's the scene of the very first part of this scripture that we're going to examine today. The disciples are together. They've locked the doors because they're afraid. Now, let me make sure we understand what it means here when it says they're, they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Remember what had just happened and what, the, what role the Jewish leaders had played in that. Well, the Jewish leaders had, had Jesus arrested. The Jewish leaders turned him over to the Romans who crucified him. So they had every reason to be afraid of the Jewish leaders. This should not be understood in any other context or sense than that they were just afraid because they didn't know if their well-being, their lives were at risk. So that's why they were, they were there, and that's why the door was locked. And all at once, the scripture says, Jesus came and stood among them. Pretty good words, isn't it, to say that Jesus came? Uh, a lot of us need Jesus to come to us, and I hope he comes to you today. But here they are meeting together. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. 
Uh, that's just a great statement, isn't it? That's a standard greeting that was common at that time, standard Jewish greeting. It wasn't anything unusual. It sounds a little a little different to our ears, but it, but it was really just the way they might have expected Jesus to greet them. Included in the greeting, though, was also the idea, not just a calmness, we tend to think of peace as a calmness, but included with this idea of peace was that they would enjoy blessing or favor from God. This was a real expression of, of desire that they would ex enjoy that blessing from God. And at our church every week, we turn to each other and, and in whatever way we can, we extend to each other the peace of Christ because we want to bless each other in the name of Jesus. We come from all kinds of things all week long, and sometimes we're just delighted to be there, and sometimes life has thrown us a curve or two, and we might have a little anxiety about something. So, so we make an effort to greet each other and extend to each other the peace of Christ. It's a, it's a real blessing, and I encourage you to bless your friends, your loved ones, with the peace of Christ. So Jesus says this blessing to them, and then he showed them his hands inside, a verification that this was really him, uh, that they weren't seeing things, that he was physically present among them, that it wasn't a ghost, it really was Jesus. And then the disciples responded, of course, having seen the evidence with joy. The, the NIV says the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And that's an excellent description, overjoyed. They, they just, they, they were, their gloom and, and sadness, their malaise, perhaps we would say, was completely evaporated by the presence of Jesus. They were overjoyed. And if you're considering following Jesus, that could be true for you too, because that's what Jesus brings to all people is that sense of joy, that sense of peace, that blessing, favor with God. Well, verse 21, he repeats that. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a stopping in the middle of a paragraph, but that's okay. Let's make sure we understand where we are. So, so we don't get confused. A couple of important ideas here. So Jesus again repeats the blessing of peace to them. And then he says, in the same way the Father sent me, and they would have understood that because they, they walked with him. They heard him talk about how the Father had sent him. So he says, in the same way the Father sent me, I'm going to send you. In other words, just like me, you're going to be God's representatives. You're going to be God's agents. You're going to be God's ambassadors. There's a lot of words we use for that. It's all the same idea that Jesus comes to us and says, I want you to represent me. And we do want to represent him wisely and well, don't we? And we need to take that responsibility seriously. But then he goes on to, do, to say something really that we would not have expected in, in this context at all. But it says, and with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Wow, isn't that, isn't that interesting? Well, what's, what's going on here? What, what could Jesus be meaning by all of that? Well, it's pretty easy to understand that, that he says, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. That's, that's really not complicated. That's pretty straightforward. But what we don't quite know what to do with, because we're, we're not yet in the story of Jesus to Pentecost, but he says to them, receive the Holy Spirit. 
Well, in Jewish literature, and so in the context of their understanding, they would have connected the Holy Spirit with the commissioning to represent God as God's representatives, God's agents. So that wouldn't have been a total surprise to them uh, to have heard that. And it's not really a total surprise to us because we realize that we need the, the help of God to do what God has called us to do. When God calls us to accomplish something for him, we realize we can't do it on our own. So we're delighted to hear Jesus say, receive the Holy Spirit. And it points for sure ahead to Pentecost, and we'll get to Pentecost. Let's be careful we don't get ahead of ourselves, but we don't want to get behind Jesus either. So we got to see the connection between the, the call to ministry, the call to service, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's also really quite fascinating that this reference of, of the idea of, of receive the Holy Spirit and that Jesus breathed on them also reminds us of a couple of really fascinating parallels to that. If you go back to creation in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, we find that Jesus, uh, being present with God, he usually referred to as God doing this, but the, the breath of the Holy Spirit or the breath of God enters into the created people and brings them to life. So in a sense, what Jesus is doing here when he commissions these followers of his to, to step forward and do what God has called them to do, he is actually, like creation, infusing them with life. And it's a reference to that life, and it's a reference to all of the things that they will do in his name and how he will help them do it, how they will not be left on their own. They will not be left by themselves, but they will actually have support from Jesus by the gift and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. So that's a very important connection. The other really interesting thing that this that's the same idea comes from Ezekiel chapter 37. And you probably remember them bones, them bones, them dry bones. Well, that's the reference in Ezekiel chapter 37. And it talks about how the Spirit of God breathed life into those dry bones. And so this is what's going on here, the same idea that all of a sudden, because of the breath of, of God, because of the Holy Spirit coming along, these dry bones now come to life, and they know something about life in Jesus from this point on. Now, some people have suggested that it's also the point where God gives to people the sense of eternal life, and, and that could be part of it as well. But it seems to me in the context here, with it, with it referring to the commission to go forward and to minister to serve in Jesus' name, that the context is really trying to help us understand that the gift of the Holy Spirit was, was the idea, even here, even before Pentecost, that he would help them accomplish the mission he's called them to. He would give them life to come alive like the dry bones or come alive like the first created people because the breath of God breathed life into them and he wants to breathe life into us. The next verse then takes another totally unexpected turn and draws our attention to something we never would have imagined. But in verse 23, Jesus continues and he says, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Oh, that gets our attention, doesn't it? So what's going on here? Is God suddenly giving people, his followers, authority to forgive sins? So they can decide whether this person's sin is forgiven and this person's sin is not. 
what's really going on here? Well, it does say it in pretty straightforward language, but there is no sense in the context of this or in all of the rest of the Bible, as far as I have ever seen, and no one I've ever read about or helped understand these things ever, ever hints that this is giving divine authority to people. And so we shouldn't understand that. We should understand that as a continuation of being God's representatives so that we can tell people the good news that forgiveness is possible, that forgiveness is available in the name of Jesus. And so we should invite them to come and be forgiven. Uh, many years ago now, not too long after I came to Florida and to this church, one of the men of the church heard me talk about the concept of forgiveness. It's been so long ago, I don't remember what I said, other than one thing, and I don't know where this even came from, it just kind of, it's one of those things that occurs to us as, as we go along trying to understand what God is saying to us. But I said on a Sunday morning in a, in a sermon that forgiveness has got to be one of the sweetest words, maybe the sweetest word in the English language. We all know that when we need to be forgiven, it's great when our friend forgives us. Uh, we all know what it's like to have done something that wasn't very wise or maybe put plainly, we just do stupid stuff sometimes. We say something we shouldn't say, we do something. And so we need that forgiveness. And you know, that's a gift we offer each other all the time. So many times things happen and, and they just pass us by because we don't hold it against our friends. We don't hold it against our families. We just forgive and go on. We understand that's the flow of life. And as followers of Jesus, we understand that's our responsibility is to forgive. And so what's going on here is, is that sense that this forgiveness is, is a wonderful gift that God gives and that we speaking for God as his representatives can say on God's authority that forgiveness is available and you can come and follow Jesus and be forgiven. We know it doesn't mean that we suddenly take God's place. Fascinating story in Mark chapter two about how there was a man who was desperately in need of forgiveness. And you, you may remember the story. You may have, have read that. In Mark chapter two, the man is brought to Jesus because he's paralyzed. He can't walk. And his friends bring him and they finally get him to Jesus through the crowd. And Jesus sees him and, and Jesus' words to him are not oh man, you need help, don't you? Or, hey, I think we ought to heal you today. No, Jesus' first words to the paralyzed man, as Mark tells us the story, son, your sins are forgiven. Oh boy, there's a statement, isn't it now? So all the, all the other teachers of the law and the other Jewish leaders were there listening and wondering, and, and they immediately wondered what Jesus was up to. Why does he talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone, only God, they said, can forgive sins. Who does Jesus think he is? Well, <laughs> I, I just kind of cracks me up when I see that kind of stuff, because uh, I can imagine that Jesus it may have smiled. I don't know. I don't want to read things into it, but but Jesus knew what was going on. He he perceived, and the text of Mark tells us that he, he perceived what was going on with them. And so he challenges them, why are you thinking about this? And he says to them, which is easier? to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. So he got up, took his mat, 
and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Well, they surely had not. And, and here it is, Jesus is coming along saying, you're, you're so upset that I said that his sins were forgiven, and, and you're saying that only God can forgive sins. And, and then Jesus says, and you're right. Only God can forgive sins. And just to show you that I'm God, I'm going to have this man walk out of here with sins forgiven. And that's what happened. So that's the idea that's going on here. Not that we have that prerogative, but that Jesus teaches us what it means to have forgiveness and allows us then to speak on his authority to each other so that we can understand what it means to have forgiveness of sins. So that's that's the context of that. And that's the first part of the scripture we, we want to look at. We want to look at the rest now that deals with Thomas and with doubt. So in verse 24 from John chapter 20, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Wow, that's a powerful in incident. That's, a, that's an amazing thing. So let's just think about that from the perspective of doubt before we get into the details of the story that Jesus has here and that, that John is telling us. I sometimes refer to doubt as a gift, and I really, really believe that. I think doubt is a gift because it helps us resolve our concerns, answer our questions, and get clarity on what it is we believe and who God is and how we relate to him. So I don't think of doubt on, it, on its face as a bad thing, but I do want us to make sure we understand before we get into the story of Thomas here that, that doubt can be used against us. We can use it against ourselves. Uh, and what I mean by that is there, there's doubt in what I might call honest doubt, if, if, if you'll let me use that expression. Um, you can always come up with another question. You can always find something that can't be answered in a way that satisfies you, because you can always keep going in the direction away from understanding and accepting. Uh, I, I like questions. I think my mother was tormented sometimes by the questions that I asked. She never complained about it that I heard, but she made reference one time to the fact that I asked a lot of questions when I was young. I, I really don't remember that. I, I guess I probably did because it seems like I've been asking questions my whole life. And, and that's okay. I, I ask questions. I've learned to to understand which questions can have answers and which ones can't. And so that has helped me a lot. But I have been a, a person that asks questions. Uh, I, rem I remember one time I got a taste of my own medicine. <laughs> we were visiting my sister and her family, and this was many years ago. And my nephew decided he wanted to go with me. I needed to go put gasoline in the car so that we could be ready to take our trip. We were about to leave. And so he decided he would go with me. 
And I thought that was fine. I put him in the car seat in the back and away we went to fill up the car with gas. And somewhere along the line, he, he started asking me questions and I just answered. And, and at some point he wasn't hundred percent happy with what I was doing or what I was saying. And so he kept pressing the issue and he would say to me, well, why uncle Rick, why? And I'd try to answer the question and then he would ask another question. And, and, and then we just seemed to go around in circles because he kept saying, well, 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 why uncle Rick? Why? Well, at some point, I, I don't remember how we ended the conversation. He wasn't being difficult by any means. He was, he was being a kid. That was fine. But I remember that incident. I often think about it when we come to, to dealing with our doubts. That so often, so often we just keep doubling down on one more question. Well, you haven't satisfied this that I'm thinking, or you haven't answered that. And I, I think we need to understand that that God in no place in the Bible obligates him to answer all of my questions or all of your questions. He has obligated himself to give us answers to the questions that we need so that we can live our lives in the way he's called us to live, so that we can follow him faithfully, so that we can prepare in this life for the life to come. All of those answers are available to us, but it requires us to bring our honesty to him and to have what I call honest doubt. Well, we're going to take a break here just a minute, and I'll be back in, in just a couple of minutes, and we're going to talk about Thomas, and we're going to resolve some of this doubt. But while you're waiting, while you're thinking about, decide for yourself. Are you going to bring honest doubt to the conversation with God and the Bible, or are you going to resist that? Are you going to push God away by one doubt after another? We'll be right back. Hello, this is Lieutenant Randy Sutton, the host of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement. I am a 34-year police veteran. I am also the founder and CEO of an organization that stands behind injured and disabled law enforcement officers. It is called The Wounded Blue. Our website is thewoundedblue.org. We have produced a film. It is an important film. I urge you to watch it. The film details what happens when a police officer or law enforcement officer is shot or stabbed or beaten or disabled, seriously injured in the line of duty. Most people think they are taken care of medically and financially. The reality may be quite different. It is called The Wounded Blue, Service, Sacrifice, Betrayed. The film is available on Amazon, iTunes, and the Microsoft Store. As we celebrate our five-year anniversary, America Out Loud has expanded its mission through a newly designed website with a host of new contributors, all carrying a vibrant message of hope and survival for this country we love. AmericaOutloud.com. Together, we'll secure the future for generations to come. This is Faith Is with Pastor Rick Stevens. I'm really, really glad you spend this time with us. And I really hope that you'll find this valuable. 
We don't do this for ourselves, we do it for you and so you can benefit from it. That's the whole idea. So I hope you do and I hope we can help you. And while we were away on break, I hope you were able to, to come to a decision about this business of doubt. And I hope you're willing to take a look at what the Bible talks to us about in the story of, of the man we call Doubting Thomas, or I often like to say, please, he was believing Thomas because that's where he ended up. But nonetheless, we often call him Doubting Thomas and we wanna take a look at his story and we wanna bring our honest doubts to the table now so that we can then talk to, talk to ourselves and hear what God has to say to us. So Thomas was one of the disciples and, and the disciples were privileged to see Jesus and to know that, that he was alive. And, and they talked to Thomas about it in verse 24 and talked to him about how they had seen the Lord. And, and Thomas immediately says, well, now hold on, not so fast. He says he wants to see the, the hands, the nail marks. He wants to understand the, the damage to Jesus' side. And he says, unless I see that evidence, I will not believe. And, and, and we kind of swallow hard and say, whoa, Thomas, aren't you being a little tough here? Well, I, I don't think Thomas is. Really, when you look at it, Thomas isn't asking for any different evidence than Jesus provided the other disciples. He isn't asking for anything that they didn't have. And, and that's kind of understandable. Thomas kind of says, well, if you could see this, why can't I? If you could see and touch, why can't I? I, I guess what you'd say Thomas is thinking here is that he just wants to make sure Jesus is real. It's not necessarily true that he's doubting his friends. He just wants to make sure Jesus is, is real. And so he wants him to be real to him. And, and so Bible tells us, the story continues, a week later, they're all gathered together in a house again, and doors locked, and Thomas is there, and Jesus comes in, and, and again, greets them with the familiar greeting, peace be with you, and, and offers Thomas the opportunity to see the evidence. And uh, he admonishes Thomas, stop doubting and believe. Uh, that's, that's a good admonition. We should hear that, and, and we do. And, and Thomas saw the evidence, and he responded to that evidence. Now, before we go into Thomas's response, think about what Jesus did for Thomas. And, and really, this is why I want you to make sure you're going to bring honest doubt to Jesus, honest doubt to the discussion. As I said, we can, we can bob and weave and dodge and all kinds of stuff to push Jesus away. We can be dishonest with ourselves by all of our pseudo arguments, or we can bring our honest doubt to Jesus. Thomas said specifically, this is what I need so that I will believe. And now here's really the significant thing. Thomas brought his honest doubt right out and put it on the table for all to see. And Jesus responded to his honest doubt in a way that helped Thomas believe. You know, I'm convinced that God cares enough about you and about people everywhere that when we bring our honest doubts to him, he wants to respond in a way that answers our questions, clarifies our confusion, and helps us come to the same conclusion Thomas came to. 
Because Thomas, when he saw the evidence, when he had that encounter with Jesus, Thomas' response was, my Lord and my God. Thomas makes his confession. You see, when, when we bring our honest doubt to Jesus, and he answers our questions, and he clarifies our confusion, he keeps us front and center in his concern, and keeps our concerns front and center so that, that we get answers to our questions, then once he's answered them, it's our responsibility to decide, are we going to, are we going to walk away or are we going to make our confession like Thomas, my Lord and my God? That's what it really comes down to. Now, a lot of people, um, they, they just don't want to. Well, I, I get that, but I just want to ask you, are you bringing honesty to the conversation or are you just looking for an excuse to push Jesus away? Are you being less than truthful with yourself? Or are you willing to, to really, really, really take an honest look at what God gives us in the Bible so that we can be like Thomas and believe and follow Jesus? So Jesus says it in verse 29, he says to Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And you know, that's, that's us. We aren't going to have the same opportunity that Thomas did. It's just not possible. But we can still believe. And Jesus even says we're blessed when we believe. We haven't seen what Thomas saw. We haven't seen what the disciples saw. We will never be able to see it but we're blessed. We're blessed when we believe. And God wants to bless you and bless you all the way to belief and to keep you believing and to keep you walking and to follow and to, and to embrace the reality, the truth that the, that the Bible tells us. So I want to, I want to take that one more step on this idea of believe so that, so that we don't miss that. Okay, now, now the reason I want to do that is because the scripture we're looking at today concludes with verses 30 and 31. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, that's, that's really significant what's said there. So, so we get the story that, that the writer of John gives us in the Gospel of John so that we can understand Jesus. They're written here, according to verse 31, so that we can believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one sent from God. He is the Son of God, so that we can believe that, and that by believing, have life in his name. So if believing is a key, and it is, it's clear from this verse and others, if believing is a key, we need to understand what did, does the Bible mean by that word believe. Because if we want to encounter Jesus and have the life that he came to live or to give, if, if we want to encounter Jesus and live forever with him in heaven, then we better understand what it means to believe. For a long time, I've been concerned about people and this idea of belief. I've heard a lot of people, in fact, you'll see polls. I haven't seen one for a while, but you'll see opinion polls that say the vast majority of people in our country believe that God is real. Well, I'm glad for that, but is that really what the Bible means when it says, by believing, you may have life in his name? 
So I want to unpack that a little bit for us to help us understand so that we can can know with a settled certainty. You see, this is an, an example of what I mean when, when God doesn't want to make these things complicated or mysterious or difficult. He wants them to be concrete so that we can understand, so that we can know how to live our lives and go forward in faithfulness. So what does it mean when the Bible uses the word believe? Well, we all understand that the Bible was translated from its original languages into English, and we're glad for that. We are so fortunate to have so many wonderful English translations of the Bible that help us understand what God wants us to understand. And yet, we also realize that anytime you translate a text from one language to another, you face challenges. How do you get the exact meaning? How do you communicate what the original writer meant so that the people who read it in their language can understand? Well, that's a challenge. It's not insurmountable, but it does require us to pay attention to things and think through some things. So since this idea of believing is so important, we better understand what Jesus meant by it, what the Bible means by it, so that we can, can believe, so that we can be believing, so we can stop doubting, as Jesus said to Thomas, and believe. So most of the time when we use the word believe, we have the sense that believe means accepted as true. So if, if, if I hear somebody say something and I believe them, usually what I'm thinking is I accept what they said as true and factual, and I can depend upon it. So if they tell me that, there, that something happened three miles down the road at a place that I'm familiar with, I believe them. I haven't seen it, but I have no reason to doubt them. I believe them. If they tell me they saw something in a news report, that something happened, I believe them. I understand they're telling me the truth. And, and I have no reason to doubt that. I believe them. So that's, that's the first part of this idea of believe. And it's important. I, I don't want to minimize that. It's important that, to believe that it's true. And that's where we have to start. And that's why the resurrection is so important, because it gives us confidence that the story of Jesus is valid and it verifies the truthfulness of what happened so many years ago. It verifies the truthfulness of what the Bible teaches us. So when we believe, we want to accept it as true. Very important. And every now and then people waver on that. Is it really true? And I always say, come back to the resurrection. Resurrection of Jesus validates everything and verifies the truthfulness. And we can hold on to that. So true is good, but it's not all that the Bible means in the original languages using this word that the using the word believe as we use it. The original expression meant more than just accept something as true. Now, in order for us to understand what Jesus means by the concept that by believing you may have life in his name, we have to begin to wrestle with the idea that, that what he was talking about was more than something is true. Okay, uh, it, the Bible helps us with that. A surprise, I guess we've learned to expect the Bible to help us with these things. Well, in James chapter 2, verse 19, we read this very insightful statement. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Hmm. Wow. I, I, that's just a powerful statement. Even the demons believe that there is one God, and they shudder at the belief. 
Now, none of us, no one I've ever heard, no one I would ever expect to hear, would argue that what it refers to in that verse, James chapter 2, verse 19, that the demons believe, no one would argue that that means the demons will have life in the name of Jesus. We would all argue, and, and I think it's pretty clear on its face, that what it means there is the demons believe that, yes, there's one God, and because there's one God, they're in trouble. And, and they shudder, and they should, because they know it's true. There is one God who is the enemy of evil, and, and they know that's true. They, they do not doubt that. So, so understanding that something is true isn't all that the Bible means by that by believing you may have life in his name. So there's more to that than simply accepting it, that it's true. So, so I've being aware of that, I started looking into this and trying to understand, and I came to realize, and, and I'm not this guy, okay? I, I freely admit that. There are people who are experts in biblical languages, and I'm not that. I benefit from their work. I'm so grateful for what they do. And I came across a couple of people that are well-respected in the languages and all that, and, and they began to explain that the original language meant more than what we mean by our word believe. Uh, now, now, this isn't trying to talk around something or make something up. This is trying to understand what it is that God wants us to understand. And in the context of those days, the idea of belief meant, yes, believe that it's true, but it meant more than that. It meant trust. It meant have confidence in. It meant depend upon. And it meant a lot of things that we could describe in a lot of ways, but the best that I've heard was it means that we give allegiance to Jesus. So when it talks here about that we have believed, it means, yes, we accept that it's true, and we give our allegiance to Jesus. That's what Thomas did when he said, my Lord and my God. That was what we might call an acted obedience. Thomas was presenting himself to Jesus and proclaiming that Jesus was the one who was in command of his life. Jesus was the one that was in charge of his life. And he believed so thoroughly, not just in the truthfulness that here was Jesus standing before him, but here was Jesus, and he was going to give allegiance to Jesus. Jesus was going to be number one in his life. Simple as that, as complicated as that. It's really not terribly complicated when you consider what Jesus said about himself. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus said to the people as he introduced himself, he said, repent and believe the good news. There's that word believe again. So, so repent means one thing and believe means something else. You put them together and that's what Jesus is inviting us to do. Repent and believe. So now it becomes incumbent upon us to decide whether we're going to repent and believe. So using that verse from Mark chapter 1, verse 15, and the idea of repent and believe, what's going on here? Well, repent is often described in a lot of ways, and, and I've looked at it quite a lot because I was trying to get my mind around it. Some of these words just are not common words to us, and, and we don't use them in common language, and so we got to figure out what is it the Bible means by that. And, and I came across one of the most helpful ideas that I've ever had. Many years ago, when I first moved here to Florida, I, I discovered that the way the roads were laid out was, was fine. I didn't have any trouble really finding my way around. There are a few challenges here. I suppose there's a few challenges everywhere. One of the things people like to say, 
around here is that you can't get there from here. Well, that, that, that's because there are a lot of canals. And so that interrupts the flow of streets a little bit. And you have to learn to deal with that. Once you kind of get the hang of that, then you don't have so much trouble. But one of the other things that I noticed was that when we would travel, you couldn't always turn left from the direction you were going. Like if I'm going south here, I couldn't always turn left into the business that I was wanting to, to visit. I, I would often have to go past where the business was. And this was rather frequent occurrence. Uh, just remarkable. I, I avoid that a little bit now because I know my way around a little bit better. But I would go down and I'd go down the street and there would be the business over on the left that I was trying to, to visit. And I had to go past it and make a U-turn to go back to get to that business and then turn right into their parking lot. Well, it wasn't too long after that, that I came across this idea that, that that's what repentance is. Repentance is making a U-turn in your life. Repentance is realizing I'm headed in the wrong direction. I've got to, I've got to change direction. And, and to me, that was so helpful because that, that's something I could do. I could change direction. So when, when Jesus says, repent to the people there in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, he's saying, change your life. Change the direction of your life. Take a turn. Reverse course. Change your life. He's still saying that to us today. Uh, he, he's saying, change your life. You know, some people think that, that um, following Jesus means all of a sudden he's just going to do everything for us and I don't have to do anything. I, I've heard people say... Well, I tried being a Christian. <laughs> Cracks me up. You don't try being a Christian. Being a Christian is changing your life. It's repenting. It's doing differently. So when you know you shouldn't be doing something, you stop doing it. You change your life. Uh, a lot of people don't want to change their life. They just want to go on and expect God to do for them what they want, no matter what they do. And that's just not what the Bible talks about. It's very clear when Jesus says repent, he means change your life. And then he goes on to say, and believe the good news. So there's two steps in following Jesus, two steps in having life in his name, as John chapter 20 says. It's repent and believe the good news. Repent, one, change your life, and two, give allegiance to Jesus. Change your life and give allegiance to Jesus. What comes first in your life? Does Jesus come first or does something else? Do you find yourself saying, well, God will understand? Uh, are you sure about that? When Jesus says, change your life and give allegiance to Jesus, is he saying, well, change your life when you want to and, and give some allegiance to Jesus, but if there's other things that are more important to you, go ahead and do those. He's not saying that at all. He's not saying God will understand. He's saying, change your life because following Jesus is a whole lifestyle adjustment and it's meant to be the best way to live. So when he says, change your life and give allegiance to Jesus, he's talking about align your life with the example and the teachings of Jesus. It's really as simple as that. We sometimes want to make it complicated. Don't make it complicated. But don't run away from it either. Be honest with yourself. Recognize that, that you and I, we have a responsibility to change our lives and give allegiance to Jesus. If we don't want to change our lives, we need to understand we're not giving allegiance to Jesus. It's a package where we present all that we understand of ourselves to all that we understand of him. We change our lives and give allegiance to Jesus. That's what 
John means. That's what the Bible means when it talks about believe. It's more than just that it's truthful. It goes way beyond that. It means change your life and give allegiance to Jesus. Make him number one. Well, again, I want to thank you for joining us on this first episode, this first show of Faith Is. We're, we've got a lot of things to explore, and, and we will explore some more next week, and I want to invite you to join me again. Uh, we're going to have a good time here. I want to thank again the people at my church whose generosity allows this program to be possible. They and some other partners just have made this opportunity available to us, and we want to make it useful to you. So I thank the my friends and 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 all of the people associated with Diplomat Wesleyan Church in Cape Coral, Florida. They make a lot of difference in a lot of lives. And I just want to thank them for, for their help in this. They have been gracious to allow me the time and, and generous in so many ways to make these kinds of things happen. So I want to thank them for that. And I want to encourage you. I've, I've lived a few years now, and I've watched over my lifetime how in so many ways, that the church has been devalued in the lives of people. And I know, believe me, I know that, that sometimes the church disappoints us. Uh, I've been disappointed. Uh, but so what? I mean, you might have been disappointed, but, but so what? You know, Christian faith is not about whether a church is a perfect place. Christian faith is about following Jesus by changing our lives and giving him allegiance. And so I want to encourage you, if you're part of a church, to stay faithful to that church, that your church needs you. Now, now, please understand, and I don't want to talk bad about any church, but please understand that I'm talking about a church that has a high regard for the Bible, that believes the Bible is true, and believes what we talked about today, that Jesus really is the Messiah, the Son of God. When you find a church like that, I want to encourage you to be a part of that church, to show up all the time. You know, we're, we live in an age when people think going to church is sort of, well, if I'm available on the weekend, I'll go. Hold on. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible admonishes, admonishes us to put Jesus first, to repent, to change our lives and give allegiance to Jesus. So, so make it a priority. Plan now whatever time you're hearing this, that the next time the doors of your church are open, you will be there and you won't miss a weekend. You will make sure everything else is put aside so you can show up for the weekend because that's where you need to be. You will find so much benefit from that, uh, more than I know how to, say, to, to describe, but we have given up the priority of, of, of showing up and we need to show up for church. So many people expect God to show up for them. Uh, and I think God's just shaking his head and saying, who are you? I haven't seen you at church for a while. Oh, that's pretty blunt. Well, a little bit blunt, yes, but don't you think it's time for us to be honest with ourselves? So show up to church, find a church that you can support and jump in. Their church needs you. They need you to help serve, to help accomplish the things that God is calling you and your church to accomplish. And if you, your church has a Bible study, I want to encourage you to, to study the Bible. We've seen people drift away from that as well. Really important for us to take a serious look at the Bible. And, and I want, want you to have that benefit. Uh, it's, it's amazing what you'll get out of a Bible study. I, I'm amazed when I sit with my friends on Wednesday morning at the men's breakfast and Bible study at the things that they bring out 
in, into the open and, and inspire us to understand. It's just remarkable how God helps us. And, and nothing is like that. Nothing in the whole week is like that. Church on, on the weekend, that's great. But a Bible study where you can share life around the Bible, that makes so much difference. So I want to encourage you to find that opportunity. It, it will enrich your life in ways you never imagined. Find a good Bible study. Make that part of your week every week. And as we wrap this up and we come to the end of our time together, I want to thank you again for joining me. It's been a privilege and an honor to, to try to help you in this way and to serve you. As I've said before, we're, we don't do this for our benefit. We do it for yours. And we want to invite you to repent and believe the good news. We want to invite you to discover what faith is really all about. It's multidimensional. There's a lot to it. And we want to help you understand it. And I want to leave you with this reminder. Faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. See you next time.